Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena. And potentially ruin them. Potentially. Uh, we would like to acknowledge that today we are recording this episode on stolen Ghana land. We would like to pay our respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Yeah, this always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. Yeah. Ellis, I feel like as the, as the Scotsman of the two of us, <laughs> I feel like you have a right to introduce today's work. Well, uh, I would like to thank today's work for giving everybody a basis uh, for the response that I receive when I tell people that I'm Scottish, because they immediately do an atrocious Shrek impression, usually involving the words Scottish. <laughs> like, not even kidding. That's that's my life. That's my existence. <laughs> thank you to Mike Myers and Shrek. Is Mike Myers even Scottish? No, he grew up in... He's Canadian, but he grew up in Scotland. Okay, so his Scottish accent it has some level of authenticity to it. It does, it does. His accent's actually, like, not bad. Um, I don't... I don't denounce his accent. No, it's just everyone else's interpretation everyone else's. of it. Yeah. <laughs> so today, we are talking about... I want to say 2001? 2001. 2001 DreamWorks sensation, Shrek. It, it was a game changer. Yeah. It kind of, like was somewhat responsible for ushering in a new age of animated storytelling. Uh, DreamWorks animated films were very different from Disney's from that point forward. Uh, Disney films stopped being quite so quote-unquote Disney-like, mm. I would assume, in response to, to the hit that was Shrek. Shrek was the first film to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Film. They introduced the category that year. Really? And Shrek won it. And I That's think, really cool. I think they kind of brought it in for Shrek. Because they were like, we have to recognize how good this work is. Which is odd for a film that opens with a Smash Mouth song. <laughs> like... <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, you got... I feel like... All Star by Smash Mouth is the definition of, like, you love to hate it. Yeah. Or you hate to love it. It'll, Love-hate relationship. It has a place in every single person's heart. Yes. Just without question. Yeah. Be that a positive or negative thing. Mm. Like, it's polarizing, but everyone has opinions. <laughs> I, think, I think Shrek is also a film that kind of codified the idea of getting, like, a huge all-star cast for your animated feature mm. like i know like like robin williams was the genie in aladdin in the 90s but this like the marketing behind shrek was kind of pushing the fact that it was mike myers and eddie murphy and cameron diaz and john lithgow like that was yeah part that's of the push. a that's a stacked cast mm. and like you see that now all the time in animated films like yeah 
um, you know, the most recent Lion King. Yeah. It had freaking Beyonce and Donald <laughs> Glover. Like, and you don't see them because they're lions. But you know they're in them. Yeah. And they want you to know that they're mm. in them. Yeah, I hadn't considered that that wasn't necessarily a thing prior to, I guess, 2001. But yeah, yeah, that it was a like a power move. It it was it was a big move, and I mean a hugely successful film for for DreamWorks and and Jeffrey Katzenberg, the the CEO or the the head of DreamWorks. Uh, I mean, what are they like? They're like four Shrek films plus spin-offs plus mm. TV series and should have stopped huge. it too should should have quit while you're ahead oh yeah so to clarify today we're only going to be talking about Shrek the movie and number one obviously there are like sequels and spin-offs and there's a musical Shrek the musical mm. um, which is a good time uh, we will definitely discuss that at a later date but today we are exclusively talking about the movie. We'll wait until like Sutton Foster is available and you know can be a guest. She's on the getting podcast. back to us any day. Now. <laughs> We've only sent seventeen emails this week. <laughs> so yes, Ellis, tell us about your childhood adoration for this film. Well, I, I mean, adoration is really the thing. Like, I saw it in the cinemas, and we bought the soundtrack, and we listened to the soundtrack over and over again. Uh, as soon as the DVD came out, we got that. I would, like, watch it every night going to sleep and, like, wake up and the DVD menu would be playing in in the middle of the room. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, like, Shrek was, like, a hugely important movie to me as a child. I think part of that was because it Shrek was, like, the first character that I saw myself mm. reflected in. Not just in terms of, like accent and stuff but I mean I was a bigger kid I'm a big adult as well but like he was the first kind of character who I could kind of associate with mm. in that way so he was very important to me yeah yeah what about you Mim how, how did you grow up with Shrek I definitely saw it in cinemas when it first came out I was young <laughs> I was what seven in 2001 so I was little um, but I remember specifically seeing it with my dad and my dad being mortified that he had taken me and I assume my brother as well I think my brother was there who would have been like five at the time <laughs> and I think he was quite mortified that he had taken his young children to see something that had a lot of like innuendo and was just like a little bit rough around the edges I think he was like should have paid more attention to the PG rating <laughs> um but then like I remember having definitely Shrek 2 and I think also Shrek 1 on VHS mm. Um, and watching it a lot as a kid, like when I rewatched it to give a feminist critique to it, I was like, I had not appreciated how much this movie is imprinted on my brain because I just <laughs> quoted the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very quotable. Very quotable. Like understandable that this was a huge success and spawned a huge franchise and, mm. and everything like that. It was just, yeah. I also just want to know how many times Eddie Murphy went off script. Like, how much of that is improv? Because surely it's a lot. Surely it's a lot. Has to be. <laughs> so feminism. That's why we're here. Um, from my point of view, I think there are a couple of main points to hit on when we talk about Shrek as a quote-unquote feminist work. I mean, that's still up in the air. We haven't critiqued it yet. <laughs> um, but I think some of the main things that we'll, we'll talk about 
um, and untangle a little bit, are A, this idea that it kind of pushes back against quite a few Disney tropes and ideas of traditional femininity and um, what it is to be ladylike and what it is to be Mm. a submissive princess. Um, And also I think that there, it has a lot to say about societal beauty standards Mm -hmm. and appreciating somebody for who they are beyond their physical appearance. I think we're going to take this with a grain of salt because we were talking about this before we started recording. I couldn't actually find a concrete source to back this up. But Ellis, you have a perspective about DreamWorks rebelling from Disney that I think kind of contextualizes this discussion. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, so uh, I, I'm sure there are a lot of things written about it that our cursory research, we, we couldn't find like a specific thing to quote, but uh, Jeffrey... This is all hearsay. <laughs> this, this is all hearsay. Jeffrey Katzenberg, who founded DreamWorks, used to work for Disney, and he was partnered with Michael Eisner, who around the, the 90s, early 2000s, was the CEO, I believe. Uh, Katzenberg got fired, uh, and then kind of sued, and was not happy, started his own company, and Shrek was kind of his way of saying... Some you to Disney. It's theorized. Like he apparently he did a lot of things, business moves to kind of undermine Disney before Shrek. But um, the the fact that your main villain Lord Farquaad was he he apparently told the animators to model him off of Michael Eisner. Sounds like a really bitter dude, honestly. Yeah, I, I think I think he's got a few. He's got a few uh, issues that he was trying to work through with his film. We also <laughs> theorized because when you told me that he based Michael, no, he based Lord Farquaad on Michael Eisner, I was like, does that mean that Michael Eisner is short? Is that one of the characteristics? We looked it up. Michael Eisner is 192 centimeters, which is like over six foot, like yeah, very, like very tall. Six, six, like three or four. I that's think? that's real tall. Yeah. Um, and we were like, oh. Guess not, then. Um, <laughs> did a cursory Google. How tall is Jeffrey Katzenberg? Katzenberg, is that his name? Katzenberg. Um, 162 centimetres, <laughs> um, which is, like, shorter than me. And I'm, what, like, five? Three, yeah. Four? Three? Um, so I think that he's maybe projecting some of his own insecurities. A little bit. This is all hearsay. This is all hearsay. This is all speculation. Exactly. Don't come after us. <laughs> Jeffrey... Jeffrey Katzenberg, Katzenberg sorry, I keep forgetting your name, um, but I only became aware of your existence today. So, <laughs> But there is this kind of underpinning, and I think if you look at Shrek, you can kind of see it's deliberately setting up traditional fairy tale tropes, which at that time would have been very closely associated with Disney. Oh, 100%. Uh, and then I- deliberately undercut them. I know that a lot of Disney movies are based on traditional fairy tales, stories. Folklore. Yeah, there's a lot of like Hans Christian Andersen, a lot of the Brothers Grimm, etc. But Disney kind of catapults those stories into the mainstream. Mm. And so many of the characters that you see at the start being rounded up as the fairy tale creatures. You've got Pinocchio, you've got Sleeping Beauty, you've got the Seven Dwarves, you've got um, Tinkerbell. Mm -hmm. Like so many characters that have become prominent in the, Disney the mainstream context. because of Disney and mm. like have been um they come into public consciousness um because of Disney. 
so I think you very much see that kind of Disney influence and those nods set up very early. Side note, I got real Nazi Germany vibes from the very early <laughs> scenes where they're like rounding up all of these fairy tale creatures who don't conform to like a certain standard and they're like all carted off to a swamp and I'm like, oh, that's that's dicey. Mm. Mm. Fortunately, that was the villain doing that. Yes, and it very much criticised yes. those actions. Yes, it was very, it was very much critiqued. <laughs> um, that was not condoned by the story. No, but but I mean, even the fact that the film opens with the fairy book opens up and somebody's reading the story. It opens with a very traditional kind of the the way that Disney films used to open. Yeah, uh, like Snow White and Cinderella. That's how they used to begin their films. And then Shrek rips a page out of it and uses it as toilet paper. And then smash cut to smash mouth. It, it really sets the tone for how mm-hmm. traditional fairy tale storytelling is going to be treated. And I think it kind of... The character that encapsulates that the most is our princess, Princess Fiona. Yeah, absolutely. And She is set up as like this damsel in distress atop a tower guarded by a dragon and need, away. needs a knight to come and rescue her. And when we first meet her, that's kind of what she, she buys that idea wholly. She's like, this is she what's supposed to happen. She plays into it. Yeah. yeah. Like she sees that somebody's coming to rescue her. I was like, oh, better get in my bed. Better get my flowers. Better be sleeping and looking serene and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, hey, you're meant to slay the dragon you're meant to have all of these kind of niceties and all of this mm-hmm. um like scale the tower uh, like fall fall from the window onto your horse and we and we ride off into the sunset kind of thing yeah and when none of that happens she has no idea what to do with herself mm. and no idea how to react and it's just like no, no no this is wrong this isn't what it's supposed to be and i've read a couple of feminist critiques of Shrek that kind of criticize the early part of Fiona's arc and characterization saying Mm. oh but she's she's buying into the fairy tale she is um trying to come across and and fulfill all of these um expectations of a traditional princess and from my perspective I think that it kind of sets that up to demonstrate her growth and demonstrate the fact that she is a lot happier when she rejects um, these expectations. Like, mm. the my overwhelming sense when I was watching it was when she kind of spurts off the this almost, like, scripted stuff about, like... Um, Oh yeah, and then you take off your helmet and we ride off into the sunset and... We kiss and we'll get married. Exactly. Um, It feels very much like that's what she's had hammered into her. Like, this is your conditioning. This is what will happen. Here are the gender expectations put upon you. Mm. And I think that by seeing that and then seeing her kind of untangle that and unlearn that is still a very effective way of critiquing it because you you set it up to break it down mm-hmm. like you have to you have to set up what you're going to parody in order to parody it i think like sure yes somebody a character who exhibits very strong characteristics that reject gender norms from the start would also be 
like a strong feminist character, but I think that by virtue of seeing her growth and by seeing her stray from this narrative that has been put upon her, that also is a credit to her and a credit to the feminist merits of this film. Mm. And I think it also tackles it in from multiple angles. Like, you, you first learn about how her personality is very different to the stereotypical princess of fairy tales where she she burps a lot and she causes birds to explode with her singing and is just like well i'm not gonna waste these eggs i'm gonna cook them up and then she like has a whole fight scene that's the point like doesn't she blow it up to then steal its eggs no i think i think it was i thought it was an accident no i thought it was totally on purpose oh she was like i need these eggs so i'm gonna sing to you and blow you up like i thought it was like premeditated (laughs) i've always thought that no, I've always thought it was like an accident. It's like she's just like I'm going to sing with this bird, and then the bird explodes. It's like oh, oh well, not not going to waste that. No, but I, I kind of like your interpretation no, I better. I fully thought that that was on purpose. <laughs> yeah, um, never read that. But then she has like tell a, us tell us your your thoughts, listeners. We'd like to hear. Do you yeah, think please. that the the murder of the bird is premeditated or <laughs> accidental? <laughs> Uh, but we also have the fight scene against Robin Hood and his merry men. Um, she like just kicks a whole bunch of ass mm. uh, and and is awesome doing it. There's like a Matrix reference <laughs> in it. There is too. Because uh, that, that's what animated films need. More references to things that kids won't get. Uh, <laughs> so we, we kind of see parts of her personality that are very unprincess like mm. And then... That's kind of compounded when we have the reveal of her curse, where she transforms into an ogre every night. And for me, that's when the the messaging about uh, traditional beauty standards really comes through, because Fiona is terrified of being judged for her beauty. She mm. She is so scared that people are going to reject her because she doesn't conform to traditional beauty standards like she she says i'm a princess and that's not how a princess is supposed to look and then later says princess and ugly don't go together so she has these these ideas of what a princess should be that have been thrust upon her she is not that for whatever reason at least 50 percent of the time exactly and she is so horrified of how she is going to be Mm judged or perceived because of that yeah and like sure not everyone i was about to say not everyone turns into an ogre at night i would say that outside (laughs) of outside of animated fiction that doesn't happen if you turn into an ogre at night please get get in touch touch with us (laughs) um but yes to some degree i think that everyone has internalized some level of here are things that I'm ashamed of, here are like flaws, be they physical, mental, etc., that I have internalized shame about, that I am terrified of other people learning about me. And I think that um, intentional or not, I think that kind of speaks to how a lot of women especially have a lot of shame about their physical appearance and um, Mm -hmm. how that's something that, I mean, obviously shouldn't be the case, but is a narrative that we're fed because um, unrealistic patriarchal beauty standards like drive capitalism, right? Yeah. It's like, I mean, you don't buy shit unless you feel shit. Mm. Oh, 
that's good. That's, that's, that's an Adam Hills quote. That's snappy. Yeah. I like that. Thank you, Adam Hills. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose from my perspective, that's kind of like a – that's a fork in the road in Fiona's journey, I guess, because um, it's at that point which Shrek thinks that he's talking about her. She's talking about him. Sorry, that one. She's talking about him. And so that's the point at which he is very much like hurt and, and turns away from her, mm-hmm. whereas they have been developing this like... Friendship, friendship relationship. Friendship, pseudo-romantic kind of thing. Like you see this cute montage and... They're like sort of courting each other and mm. being really creative with their natural surroundings about how to give one another gifts. gifts. And... That was one of my favorite scenes as a kid, <laughs> like the the cobweb as the fairy floss. Yeah, and that's, the, that's pretty cute. The poor frog as the balloon, or is it a snake? <laughs> it's both. Ah, oh, amazing. Because he gives her a frog and she gives him a snake. Classic. Um, so they've been kind of like building this friendship relationship, and then he turns away when he thinks that she's rejected him because of his physical appearance, whereas like whereas in actual fact she's been talking about her own herself. And at that point she kind of goes, Well, I don't have an option anymore. I need to go with Farquad because I need to break this curse, because mm-hmm. I need to adhere to the societal beauty standards of what a princess should look like. And also her worst fears from her perspective came true. She's been rejected for the way she looks by somebody that she cared about and thought that kind of thing wouldn't bother him. So of course she's like, well, I'm going to take any out that I can because my worst fears have just been confirmed. Mm. Yeah. And so while I think like, again, a lot of the feminist critiques that I have read about this are like, Oh, well, Fiona, um, you know, tries to follow through with like, um, marrying somebody that she doesn't like and trying to do anything to adhere to societal beauty standards, etc. But I, I don't think that that detracts from her as a feminist character. I think it just makes her human. Yeah. Because, I mean, everyone... Like, no one exists in a vacuum. No one exists in a world where they're not influenced by unrealistic beauty standards and societal expectations. So... Um, kind of reverting back into that, reverting back into your conditioning. Like we all make mistakes where we sometimes find ourselves going, yes, objectively, I know that I don't need to look a certain way to be worthy, or I know that I don't need to act a certain way to be taken seriously, but you still revert and work within the system Mm. uh, because A, the system still exists, and B, that's the way that you've been conditioned to work. Like you're always going to make mistakes. So I think that even though she does kind of take this side step in terms of how you've seen her character progressing and kind of shedding and unlearning some of the conditioning that she has evidently had hammered into her, Mm. I think that she's still taking some steps, demonstrating her agency. It's just that... With her agency, she's, she's taking steps towards being accepted within the societal framework that she's working within. And I guess her her journey of understanding isn't so much that her ogreness is something that she's been cursed with, but an understanding that that's who she actually is. And 
at the end when the spell is broken and instead of turning into a princess she turns into an ogre that's kind of saying well this is who you are and only by her accepting it and her finding a place in the world where that is accepted is she able to find her happy ending Hmm. Hmm. so it's it's literally by making peace with the thing that she was ashamed of and that society taught her to be ashamed of. Yeah. That she finds happiness. Which I think is actually a really strong message to take away from a what is a, literally a children's film. Yeah. Like, make peace with your flaws, you're going to be happy. Ace. Exactly. But, but it's not even flaws. Like, mm. make peace with your individuality. Make peace with the things that you have been taught are flaws. Yeah. And accept them. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's that was the thing that surprised me rewatching it. I I kind of like again it was such an important film to me growing up and rewatching it I'm like parts of this haven't aged as well as I would have liked and right. other parts I think uh, aged and matured quite well like the the message of Fiona's journey and mm-hmm. Shrek's journey as well mm-hmm. which I would like to talk about uh, we we will talk about soon. I want to I want to know which parts you think haven't aged well. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> the soundtrack choices <laughs> like I love the soundtrack but every time a song it's... came on I was just like oh this is not this is not good is that the Baja Men oh alright the what the Baja Men they did Who Let the Dogs Out oh Smash Mouth is there but it's like it's shit but in a nostalgic way you oh know? yeah 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 and there are other I mean some of the animation hasn't aged well mm. at all although I was looking at it going for something that was made twenty years ago, this animation is yeah. Some parts still are gorgeous. Good. Some parts are really nice, and other parts are like, "Oh, you ran out of budget here." <laughs> <laughs> Bless. But one thing that I thought I had much more appreciation for than I expected to was the character of Shrek, mm. because I think Shrek has been uh, transformed and tainted. Not just by the future films in the franchise and the oversaturation of it, mm. but by meme culture. And oh. so Shrek's just become a meme for whatever reason. But going back and revisiting him, uh, I think he is such a wonderful character and a really good expression of positive masculinity. Mm. Please elaborate. I, I will. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. <laughs> um, so one thing that kind of like stood out to me is that all throughout the film, uh, we're told of how about how violent ogres are, and that mm. they they like rip your teeth out and and make necklaces and and turn your skin into hot water bottles or something like that. <laughs> However, at almost every opportunity, the exceptions being there's the wrestling match in Duloc which is very much played for comedy mm. um, and, and, and showmanship. And the very end when Fiona's life is at stake. Um, Shrek always finds a non-violent solution to his problems. Mm. He doesn't attack any of the villagers who come to attack him. Mm. He, he intimidates them, yeah. sure, but, he's, and, but he never harms them. Yeah. Um, he's almost kind of like a little bit insulted when Donkey suggests that he use a violent solution when he's fighting the dragon 
always non-violent mm, yeah. solutions. At no point does he try to harm the dragon, just kind of like keep it away from him. Yeah. Uh, Ties it up. Exactly. Tricks it. And then the big fight scene, does, he isn't even involved because Fiona takes care of, the, yeah. of Robin Hood and the Merry Men. And his first instinct when his swamp gets invaded with fairy tale creatures is not a violent one. Like, it, sure, he's frustrated, but he never actually, like, lashes out yeah, at them. He, he essentially just goes to speak to the manager. Um, Shrek is... Shrek is a Karen. Karen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that... I don't know why that surprised me. And I guess it kind of, like, fuels the idea of, like, you know, don't judge people by their appearances or, or by what society kind of dictates. Uh, but all throughout, even though Shrek is, like, grumpy... He is always kind of like gentle and and in some ways quite maybe kind is the wrong word, but kind hearted. Yeah. He like he, he definitely has a soft streak. Like you see his like very hard exterior kind mm. of melt away the more that you see him interact with like Donkey and Fiona, like Yeah. Um yeah, there are some really like lovely, gentle sides to him. And and I think that's I think his story parallels Fiona's because he's been taught that by society as well. Yeah. He's been taught this is, you're an ogre and this is an ogre's place. And because you are hideous and ugly and smelly, uh, we're going to try and kill you with pitchforks. Yeah. And so, of course, he kind of like responds to that accordingly. Of course, he isn't going to be nice to everybody all the time. He's going to have his his walls up. He's going to be very defensive. But anytime we see a moment of his character, he's actually so sweet and quite wholesome. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw a parallel that's maybe a bit of a stretch, but I still think holds up. Like I think you could say that there's a similar experience of somebody who has grown up like having a very marginalized experience or being somebody who society perceives as a threat. Mm. Um you know, I think that so often when marginalized groups speak up on behalf of themselves to like speak about their experience and to demand better of wider society that there's this expectation to be like oh why can't you why can't you say it nicely why can't you um mm. be be gentle with us when you're telling us you know about how we've oppressed you you know can um, you make your desire for rights palatable for me please yeah and it's like look if you've grown up with society telling you that you are a threat that you're dangerous that you're an outcast of course you're going to develop a hard exterior to mm. be able to to deal with that and so it's an unfair expectation that when you have to deal with the people that have contributed to this narrative that have hardened you in that way mm. that you're then expected to be quote unquote civil or polite or nice in that interaction. Like I, I draw that kind of parallel here. I, and I think like Lord Farquaad kind of exemplifies that where he doesn't treat Shrek like a human at all. And I mean, he's not, he's an ogre. Well, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't treat him with respect. With respect. Yeah. Uh, like at some point he says, well, you know, you don't have to be nice to it. It doesn't have feelings. Oh. But also kind of like expects to be treated with a certain, with a certain kind of respect from Shrek anyway. And is like kind of appalled when he isn't treated with respect or Shrek isn't happy that you rounded up a bunch of people and invaded his homeland and, and tried to have him killed and everything like that. Like, 
yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on from from that. From the people in power. Yeah. <laughs> Parallels with real life. Hmm. Who'd have thought? <laughs> but yeah, I think I think Shrek positive masculinity. He cooks. He he's artistic. He's cultured in the way of ogre history. Like, there's a yeah. lot. Like, to practices self care. Has nice little dinner parties with himself. Yeah. yeah. Like, like he... I forgotten how I'd forgotten until I rewatched it last night how funny it is that he pulls the earwax out of his <laughs> ogre ear and like mm-hmm. sticks it on the table as a candle. That really amused me. <laughs> yeah. I think I think he's I think he's great, and I think his story and Fiona's story really complement each other. Uh, in a very strong way. And you, you get to see these two people who are uh, afraid of how society perceives them and how they've both reacted and adapted to protect themselves. Mm. And only by kind of like accepting and finding each other at the end, are they able to have their happily ever after? Mm. And ride away in a carriage, which is an onion, which is really cute. <laughs> it's the details. It's the details. It's the details. Little things like that. I really like it. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. What is interesting to me is that for a story that kind of professes to be about accepting who you are and being worthy beyond your physical external appearance, that's not apply to all characters. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some inconsistency with that messaging. There's a lot of short jokes. Yeah. A lot of, like Lord Farquaad is presented as a shorter man. Um, and there are a lot of jokes at his expense. And I'm not going to lie, I laughed at them all. <laughs> you and your tall man, <laughs> Ella's dog. Because I'm tall and I can get, ah, it's so funny because I don't relate to it. <laughs> uh, but it is, it is a bit inconsistent. Mm. And, and while I laughed at those jokes, <laughs> I... I, I kind of I didn't like that I laughed at those jokes because I'm like you are doing so much positive messaging in this film that you've just decided oh but if it's the villain and it's a short man then we can make those jokes yeah. you you were saying something uh, with a real world parallel yeah I think my initial instinct to this was to be like oh but he's the villain so that's mm-hmm. alright we can like laugh at his physical flaws or whatever and then I instantly pulled myself back up on that because I was like no no um the the real world parallel that I 
immediately went to was the fact that very recently, um, especially around coverage of the US election and uh, Trump losing the election, side note, thank Some. fuck. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, yeah, can we, can we just, oh my god. <laughs> that week was so fucking stressful. <laughs> but it's alright. Oh. It's alright. It's, it's Because a piece of shit, racist, misogynistic fascist is no longer going to be the president of the United States. Sure, the second choice, not ideal. Much better than a fascist, racist, <laughs> misogynistic <laughs> asshole. Oh. Um, oh. Like. Okay. Anyway, side note. Moving away from that. No, not moving away from it, but just moving away from how relieved we are that the US election went in the right direction from my, you know, subjective perspective. <laughs> if any like, of our listeners are surprised by our... our, our uh, Anti-Trump sentiments? You shouldn't be. Yeah, it's a you feminist shouldn't podcast, mate. Yeah. Um, we digress. We digress. As we so often do. The parallel that I draw between not focusing on the physical characteristics of villains is the fact that in response to a lot of anti-Trump rhetoric, um, which... Obviously, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I just spouted a lot of my own anti-Trump rhetoric. Um, in response to what has been said about the um, soon-to-be ex-president of the US, um, a lot of fat activists have come forward and said, hey, can we please stop using fat as a negative adjective to describe him? Because, mm. like, yes, it's probably true. Uh, that's not a reason to hate him. That's not one of his flaws. That's not something to use against him when there are so many other things that you can use yeah. against him. And it's like, uh, yes, because the second that you say, oh, it's all right to use this as a negative adjective towards somebody who is evil, you're then saying that it's okay as a negative adjective against somebody else as well. well. You turn it into a negative adjective when it is not like fascist is a negative added uh, yes a, a negative descriptor yeah fat does not have any negative connotations no, it, nothing about the person's it's character a, it's a neutral term it's and, yeah yeah and in the same way that short isn't a um isn't an inherently negative term or trait there are many other negative things about lord farquaad the mm. fact that he's short isn't one of them mm. but it is the one that the film makes fun of the most yeah like, like he's a yeah. pompous dick call him that <laughs> yeah he he's arrogant and and in some ways probably a fascist as well yeah like rounds up people that he doesn't like <laughs> and carts them off so mm -hmm. that he can have this homogenous like kind of utopian in his eyes society mm. like very hitler to to quote many of you will die but that is a sacrifice i am willing to make <laughs> I really appreciate that when it's used in meme format. So I just <laughs> think it's fantastic. Moral of the story. When you're calling out or insulting somebody who is evil, like, sure, do that. But don't use words 
that are neutral descriptors that then turn those neutral descriptors into something negative. I want to talk for a moment about the donkey dragon romance subplot. (laughs) Uh, Because it's interesting to me. (laughs) Mostly from the perspective that I think if the genders were reversed, it would be so unacceptable. And Mm. I wonder whether even the genders as they are, whether it's still problematic. And I think it is. Like, May I state my case? Please. So what we see, ultimately, is Dragon being infatuated with Donkey. It not being reciprocated. Like, he just kind of, I think, somewhat uses it as a decoy to kind of, like, try and save himself and Shrek. Um, he, he starts kind of... Well, she's about to eat him, and he just starts talking because that's all he knows how to do. Yeah. And he starts... Like flirtatiously. Yeah, he starts, like, complimenting her, and I think it's implied that, like, this is the first time anyone has ever said anything like that to her mm. because she is a big, fire-breathing dragon. Yeah. Um, and so she is immediately infatuated with him and takes him away to her lair. Yes. And I think this, the way the storyline plays out is that he kind of tries to just seduce her out of desperation so that she doesn't eat him. But then it doesn't last. Uh, he's terrified of her still. Uh, he runs away. She is obsessed, keeps pursuing him until the point that he finally reciprocates the affections and if the again the genders were reversed if a man were infatuated with a woman or male character um, yeah. female character because they're both animals um <laughs> or mythical creatures you know all of the above and the the male character were like obsessed with the woman character and the woman was like nah, i'm not interested actually like all good and he just kept pursuing her and harassing her until she finally was like, okay, yes, fine, I'll fall in love with you. Would really not fly. And I feel like yeah. it shouldn't fly in the opposite scenario either. I, I I definitely agree. I think the fact that they're playing, that it's the opposite scenario and that, that it's the the female character pursuing the male character is supposed to be funny. Mm. And like unexpected, and and that's that's the gag that they're they're going for. Yeah. Uh, but it's made very clear that the donkey does not want to reciprocate the advances. Mm. Um, Where is the consent, people? Yeah, he, he even says the word that is unwanted physical contact. <laughs> and <laughs> this is not enthusiastically consented. To. No, and 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 I think. I think you're right. It would be much. It would be much more obviously problematic if the genders were reversed, but I think it is still problematic. No, because consent is consent. Consent is always important. Yes. Regardless of which genders are, you know, engaging. Exactly. Um, I do think I. I want to. I want to call myself up on one thing in that I don't think you can always say, "Oh, if the roles were reversed, it would be." problematic because you know it's it's always a false equivalence because when um 
when men are on the receiving end of problematic behavior that would be deemed significantly more problematic were a woman on the receiving end of that behavior there's not a there's not a historical context of the yeah. disenfranchisement of your gender there isn't the context that um the man who receives problematic behavior has you know spent a lifetime fending off similar advances whereas that is true of a woman's experience yeah so yeah i i just want to preface that by saying you can't always flip the genders and say oh well if it's problematic in one instance it also is is equally problematic yeah. in in the same way yeah way. like you've got to take nothing exists in a vacuum you've got yeah. to take things in their contextual you've got to take things in context and and i mean in the context of this uh one of the participants is a, a dragon and so there is an obvious power imbalance <laughs> present in the scenario. So I think I think the um, the equivalency kind of works. Sure. In this specific instance. Yeah. And yeah. Because normally when you, I'm gonna make some broad sweeping generalizations here, but I promise that they're warranted to some degree. There is a far greater societal problem of women being on the receiving end of sexual assault and violence from men that doesn't exist in the opposite scenario. Like, um, yes, there are men who experience violence and sexual assault on the part of women, but in society on the whole, it's significantly less. Like, it's, um, it's a widespread problem in terms of violence against women on the part of men. And in the instance where a woman is on the receiving end of unwanted advances, um, lecherous behavior, um, behavior that is unwanted, predatory, etc., there's the very real threat of being on the receiving end of sexual or physical violence. Mm. And that threat is significantly lessened in the alternative, whereas here, there's very the very real threat that Donkey is going to be eaten by the dragon. <laughs> so, like, yes, there is actually a genuine physical danger. Yeah. So I feel like you can actually make the... The comparison. Comparison. Yeah. Wow, that got really dark for... <laughs> For, like, discussing the feminist merits of Shrek, didn't it? I am not going to let this entire episode, I've been like, we actually have a lot to say about Shrek. There's a <laughs> lot in there. I did not expect to have this much to say. I, and I didn't I didn't expect for it to be as nuanced the discussion as I think. Not to, like, toot our own horn, like, everybody wants to be their own critic. But I feel like a lot of the things that Shrek raises are quite nuanced comments about the way society perceives uh, a lot of things, particularly with beauty standards. Mm. And I just did not expect that coming into revisiting this film. It's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I think that we brought Shrek up in our Enchanted episode. Yeah. Because I think Enchanted came out, what, like... Ten years later-ish? Like 2009, I think? I reckon it's more like 2007, 2008. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But, like, a while later, and we were like, Enchanted's trying to critique these things. 
it's not doing a great job. It's <laughs> trying to do what Shrek did more effectively in the early yeah. 2000s. And that is to say that, um, you know, being a damsel in distress, awaiting your true love's kiss, mm. um, you know, finding your handsome, conventionally attractive prince is the be-all and end-all of your life. Yeah. Um, what, Enchanted were trying to critique that and it didn't go very well. Whereas Shrek's doing it really well. Yeah. Which really surprised me. I do want to point out that for something that kind of holds up on quite a few feminist perspectives, there are so few women in this movie. Oh, there... Like... <laughs> um, there's one with a name. Yes. There's Princess Fiona, and that's it. I mean, dragon is called dragon, right? In the same way that donkey's donkey's called donkey. Donkey's called donkey. Yeah. So, I mean, sure. But also, <laughs> when you're talking about, like, Bechtel's test, for example, your character needs to be able to speak. Yeah. <laughs> to have a conversation, and, and dragon does not speak. <laughs> she yeah. really, really She's expressive. Up. She is. She's not... She does not have the power of linguistics. Uh, also, Dragon's design is very much done in a way to make you know that she is female. Oh, yeah. And and Donkey even goes out to say, Oh, you're a lady dragon. No, you're a girl dragon. Oh, you're a girl dragon. I'm pretty dragon. sure is what it is. You're a girl dragon. You're a girl dragon. But like, like, you know, she's got the lipstick and the yeah. eyelashes. And I'm like, you're a dragon. Yeah. And also, she's just immediately flattered because she has received a skerrick of like <laughs> male attention mm -hmm. and validation and it's like oh for all you're doing in portraying fiona as a three-dimensional character with agency who's fighting against societal expectations put upon her dragons really playing into the stereotypical oh a man complimented me mm. characteristic isn't she and then she kind of like become not like subservient but she kind of acts at the bidding of Shrek and Donkey in the, in the final act of the film. Mm. Like, she doesn't come up with any ideas. They're all just like, we will call you when we need you to do something for us. So it's a bit... Mm. It's a bit like that. Like, yeah. But, like, as Fiona is a really good character. I don't know if mm. that makes up for it. I wonder whether to some degree it helps to see her growth and the fact that she is kind of defying the expectations of the very patriarchal society in which she finds herself in mm. which the majority of the characters and the main players are men whether fighting against that to you know not play into the princess tropes is stronger because you see how much influence the men around her have just by virtue of there being so many major players who are men. Yeah. Um, but I don't like that argument. I just want to see more women. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, we do in future installments, the second film has a female villain, and Fiona's mother appears, and there might be uh, others I haven't seen in a while. So, like, as the franchise goes on and more and more characters are added to it, there are more women. I don't know if they're more substantial or not but they do exist mm. we should definitely make note that we're going to dissect shrek 2 soon because in my humble opinion i actually think it's better i actually enjoy it way more <laughs> also opening song way better so good we've been singing it all day accidentally in love <laughs> incredible some final thoughts ellis 
Closing arguments. I... I'm going to put this out there. I think I'm going to rate Shrek. And I'm very surprised at that. <laughs> I'm very surprised that we had as much to talk about as we did. I, I think Shrek has kind of become perverted and diluted as, as it goes. But what started it all, um, not only was it a fuck Some... you to Disney, but <laughs> um, at the heart of its story was about two people who society have rejected for whatever reason discovering that they don't need to be uh, discovering that they don't need to adhere to society's standards in order to be happy Mm. and i think that is a really powerful message to send particularly to children who maybe don't adhere to common beauty standards Mm. or traditional standards of of societal expectations Mm. i think that's i think it's really important yeah um, I also really like that um, a lot of the Disney tropes about the helpless princess that doesn't have a lot of agency who has to be rescued are kind of subverted by seeing mm. Fiona come into her own as a, a strong, quite independent character with a lot of agency uh, and who, in terms of her behaviour, really doesn't adhere to um, expectations of the ladylike princess. Mm. Um, I do think that it's a little bit of a um, blight on the film that you see some characters be encouraged through the throughout the film to embrace the physical characteristics that make them different, whereas their punchlines in other mm-hmm. circumstances, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just inconsistent messaging. Um, and I do think that the lack of women and female characters is sad. Yeah. Um, it's it's certainly think, not a perfect film. No, absolutely not. But I still think that I am erring on the side of... I actually think that this has a lot of feminist merit. It's very weird. Didn't think I was going to say that about Shrek. Right? But here we are. <laughs> And I actually think that's one of the joys of doing this podcast is kind of the things that surprise you and the things that hold up better than you expected them mm. to. Like I, like we've revisited a lot and some things have not aged well and some things have fared rather well. Mm. And, and I think like, well done to Shrek. <laughs> uh, we're going to get trolled for this, aren't we? <laughs> no, we're going to get ogred. Oh. All right, Ellis, are we calling it? Are we rating Shrek? Like, it's not like a... Like like 60%, right? 60, 65, yeah. 65, a credit. I think, credit, P's get degrees and whatnot. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I want to rate Shrek. And I'm I'm interested uh, going forward because... We'll definitely do the second one. Yeah. I don't know if I would subject ourselves to anything further than that because they are not good. Um, but also, if if you, dear listener, have a different perspective, like we'd love to hear it because, again, we are not, the, we are not the ours are not the only perspectives that count in <laughs> exactly. terms of feminist views of pop culture. So we'd be very <laughs> interested to hear from others um, about whether you also think that. 
Shrek has a bit of a feminist streak to it. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Ellis, if our friends want to get in touch and share their perspectives on the feminist merits of Shrek. Actually, it's it's really funny um, that we mentioned people talking to us because somebody once told me that the world was going to roll me. Um, oh, I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb. No, I do not condone this. Just do your social media plug and get out of my house. <laughs> if uh, you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram. I'm switching it up and starting with Instagram. Uh, you can find us at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Uh, Mim is the main manager of that one, so if you want to send her Smash Mouth lyrics, please do. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook. It's Feminism Ruins Everything Dash. It's a feminist podcast. You can send us messages there. Uh, and you can also support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, you can find us at patreon.com slash feminism ruins everything pod. Uh, and please, like, uh, you know, give us a like or a rating on whatever podcast platform yeah. you're on. Follow us. Yeah. Yeah. We are currently, this is, this is truly wild to me. Um, we're currently sitting at number seven on the Australian Apple podcast arts charts um which is just truly ludicrous um and i think that like having like people following us is like one of the strongest things that you can do to help other people find us and we are feeling very flattered (laughs) that so many people are listening and tuning in we really appreciate it thank you thanks for being here pals that's that's awesome also please keep an eye out on our socials in the next couple of weeks, we've got some more upcoming live shows happening early next year mm. um, for those of you in and around Adelaide. So um, keep an ear out because we're excited to announce those pretty soon. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Uh, on on that happy note. Um, I like that boulder. That is a, a nice, nice boulder. boulder. <laughs> Bye, friends. <laughs> is that really a good <laughs> yeah. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.